ignorant in the information age, but facts are in short supply. Reject the noise, ask bold questions, and pursue the truth with FBI whistleblowers and founding suspendables, Garrett O'Boyle and Steve Friend. This is the American Radicals Podcast. It is the American Radicals podcast bringing you our show today, Thursday, December 28th. It's the second to last show that we're going to have in 2023. So we're coming up on New Year's. We're in that that week between Christmas and New Year's, that lull. But uh, we've delivered on our promise. We're going to continue rolling out new shows to you all to make sure that we're keeping you company when you're fighting the crowds on the way back to return the gifts that you did not like from Monday. Uh, thank you very much for joining us today on the Rumble channel. If you're there in the chat, we see you. Make sure that you're giving us a thumbs up, like, follow the show. If you are happen to listen to us later on in the podcast format on iTunes and Spotify and iHeart, all those, uh, make sure you subscribe so you get the automatic updates to the show uh, and uh, and give us a five-star review there. We, we really appreciate it. And we appreciate you for joining us today. Today, uh, Garrett's at the doctor. He, uh, he, he called in sick, so it's gonna be me, but I did not come alone. I'm gonna be joined by a guest here. In a few seconds, we're going to talk about uh, about some COVID issues. We're going to talk about some government censorship issues. Uh, get into some of the things that she's been putting out uh, in written format, in her podcast format, all of it. It's going to be a great jam-packed show. I'm really excited. And I want to set the stage. I want to set the mood here uh, for our guests. So I'm going to put, start this off with a nice video before we get into the serious discussions that we're going to have. Let's go ahead and do this. Jam house at Shea. What a show. 8-8. Piazza, two down. Mets have scored six runs with two away. Piazza rips it. Will it stay fair? Goodbye, home run! Mike Piazza! A three-run homer! 11 to That was Mike Piazza. That was, I think, the 99 Mets. Um, and uh, it's kind of revel uh, relevant to, uh, to metaphorically to the story that uh, I've experienced this year. 2023 went into it kind of rough, down six runs, but uh, able, to, able to land a job, uh, got to testify to Congress a couple of times, uh, got a book published, starting to catch up. The rally started and uh, launched the AMRAD podcast. And now today, the fulfillment of it, Mike Piazza, three-run home run to maybe pull ahead here, which is the feeling that I had uh, when I brought on Tracy Beans to join me on the AMRAD podcast. Tracy, that was thank great. you so much. <laughs> for good coming. old days. <laughs> Those were the good old days. Um, and I think it's also relevant to you uh, because you have a really interesting story, a uh, background here because, you know, you have uh, this this journalism thing going on. You got a podcast thing going on. But just to look at you, you're you're a Mets fan. You got that thick New York accent, <laughs> uh, that Sicilian dark hair. Your parents probably worked in sanitation, something like that. 
there's a story here. It was construction. <laughs> Uh, but uh, I, I think that uh, you've got a great story, a great background. I wanted to, to maybe just touch on that a little bit before we get into the, the serious stuff, uh, because you, I mean, I just think your, 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 uh, your background's really interesting. Thank you. Um, that's, I don't know if I should be happy about that or not coming from you, Steve. I'm not sure. <laughs> it was good. It was a good background. Um, yeah, no, me and my husband actually had a sand ceremony that was um, orange and blue, like the Mets. That's true the amazings man i mean that's we, we we connected on that we've known each other for a little over a year now and uh that that information got fleshed out pretty quickly it's like you know who are you pulling for are you are you with the folks or are you a yankees fan you know it's uh growing up on long island if and you know the strong new york accent thing you should have heard it 10 years ago it was a lot worse a lot worse so i've kind of evolved from that a little bit too because i moved down south and they don't they don't like New Yorkers down here at all. Um, and I had to sell into the construction industry, what I was doing at the time. So if I sounded the way I did when I came from Long Island and I lived in Brooklyn and Queens, um, it, I, I just wasn't getting anywhere. They were like, so I had to change my my voice. You know, and you're in South Carolina. So I grew up in Georgia and my family came from New Jersey. And I think the it's actually not the accent it's the fact that uh northerners cut you off mid-sentence <laughs> of the conversation that you have to get along and you've you clearly conquered that uh, unlike like my dad who you're you ask him a question he asks you a question you're mid-sentence answering it and he's on to the next topic already he just steamrolls <laughs> right over you it's it's a very new york new jersey type of thing it's it's not the the accent it's the pace of the conversation yeah, it's fast. And yes, it is a skill you need to learn. But I like listening more than I like talking. So it's okay. Well, that bodes well for you, especially because <laughs> I like to talk. So we'll get into that. Uh, but before we, we we talk about the uh, the stories I want to today, I want to make sure that we plug uh, your website, which you are the purveyor of, Uncover DC. Mm -hmm. Pull this up. Uh, great source of information. You guys, uh, you curate now, like every day, there's a, there's a new story going on. Um, actually, I'm sorry. I pulled up your Rumble channel. We'll That's pull this okay. up instead. Either, either one, you can go to your Rumble channel. Uh, you can go to the to uncoverdc.com um, to see this this first news story here. The the link is the news from around the web. There's a top ten that you guys do. Uh, that is that is a must go for me every day. Being a, a consumer of the news, I, your team there, I, you're up there with like the AP wire as oh, far wow. as finding things that I I don't find anywhere else. Cool. Yeah, that's awesome. Thanks. A, a lot, I gave you another resource too. Good buddy Kane over at Citizen Free Press. That's another great place to go um, for for stuff that you, you just you're not getting everywhere. We the girls do they work hard on that piece, and I, I contribute too. Some of the stuff's crazy, but we live in a crazy time. And you started Uncover DC how a few years ago? It's it's relatively new, and you've been able to get a foothold in. What was the actual idea behind what, why you want to start your own? So I was independent just by myself and I was, you know, doing my thing. And then I was like, I need to get this information out to more people. So I started working with a great team who were like, okay, we're going to start to try and place some op-eds for you. You know, the, you know how it works. Um, and that nobody would run my op-eds because they were too controversial and on topics that nobody wanted to really touch. So I said, you know what, now is as good a time as ever. I'm just going to launch my own thing because I'm tired of being told, no, maybe we don't want to tell everybody how bad the government actually is. Um, what's the, I don't want to be a pundit. That's not what I wanted. I didn't want to be a pundit. I wanted to be a journalist and, and, you know, share my opinion about a story, but work the facts into it at the same time. 
wasn't a very good market for it at the time. So, and I, you know, I was actually looking at your background on the Uncovered DC, and I didn't realize that you had done some covering on my old boss, Andy McCabe. Oh, uh, <laughs> uh, I, I mean, you got to give me like the, the elevator pitch on that story. That's pretty wild. That was that that one that I found in OIG reports about Andrew McCabe and Loretta Lynch um, at the New York field office and how they they didn't want the Wiener laptop information and, and all of that stuff with the Clinton Foundation coming out. If, if I'm not if it's been years, but what basically ended up happening was that the, there were NYPD cops that were going to spill this information um, because it had to do with Clinton and Clinton was running and. Andrew McCabe worked with Loretta Lynch to threaten them um, if they were to say anything that Eric Garner, the case of Eric Garner uh, at the time, he was, he was one of a, a, a black gentleman who died. He was trying to sell cigarettes, I believe in Staten Island, that they were going to prosecute the officer involved in that. Should these people step out of line and say, you know, anything about the Clinton foundation or what they found on that laptop, um, and it was crazy because at the same time as that was happening, Eric Prince had come out and done an interview with Breitbart where he, he, he echoed what was later found in this IG report. So he was saying it at the time. And then the IG report that had come out confirmed what he had said. It was pretty crazy. So, yeah, that's, so they essentially leveraged the Eric Garner case to hide the Clinton case, which yes unconnected at all other than it's a wedge issue it's a it's, it's leverage to, yeah wow and there's a lot more with mccabe i mean he was he was worse than probably almost anybody yeah and uh he raised a half million dollars in three days after he got dismissed and then got fully reinstated got his pension and his legal funds paid once the Biden administration came in and settled with him on his lawsuit so mm -hmm. uh, I'm, I'm just glad that i know there's an afterlife because i know i don't have to spend forever with him no <laughs> No, he'll be somewhere much, much different than you end up, Steve. <laughs> oh, thank you very much. <laughs> uh, but more uh, more relevant to recent stories that you're putting out that I, I'd like to talk to you about, um, you're, this, the, the, the myth of like you're a jack of all trades and a master of none. You've somehow figured out how to be a master of multiple trades here. <laughs> really? Um, uh, <laughs> so you're, you're an expert on, on COVID and government censorship and other corruption matters. Uh, you're going digging deep on all of them. It's not just like you've really pigeonholed yourself. Uh, I think to me, COVID is, is first and foremost, that's, that's my big thing. I've said like, as angry as I get at the FBI weaponization, and, and this is an organization that has the ability to take your life, your freedom, destroy you entirely. I get 10 X more angry at the COVID response and the uh, vaccines and all of it. Uh, and you've been able to dig up and, and expose some of it with uh, Dell Big Tree's outlet over mm -hmm. at the Highwire, which is pretty cool. Um, and I wanted to talk about a couple of stories that you put out in the last few months. We touched on one, Garrett and I, uh, briefly last podcast, and it was this Japanese study. Uh, and I think that it's it's worth going in a deep dive, actually, with the the author of it. Um, and I'll pull it up here. It's, it's Japanese scientists find indisputable evidence that all COVID variants are man-made. Uh, reading just a brief excerpt, a stunning Japanese study that has evolved from the preprint to peer-reviewed publication suggests that all COVID-19 variants were engineered in biolabs and intentionally released upon humanity. First released in August 2023, the study conducted by renowned Japanese vi virologists, who I will not try to pronounce their names, affirms that they push to keep COVID around as part of a nefarious deep state scheme to remove our individual freedoms and control us. 
what can you tell us beyond just that that excerpt there? This is something. I actually wrote this piece with Michelle Edwards. Um, I have to give her the credit. She's due on it too. This I've been following since uh, Highwire reported on this back in October. This is what happened. It's all the Omicron variants, Steve. It's every Omicron variant being man-made. So basically what they these scientists did was they looked at all the genomes for every Omicron variant that had been you know, introduced was the word I'll use. And they were able to see that the manipulations to the virus were completely unnatural. Um, usually when a virus mutates, it'll mutate and, and it'll pick up characteristics of things that aren't really that important. They don't affect human health at all. They're kind of just like off on the side. Um, but all of the mutations to Omicron and it's and in every variant of Omicron that came out was, was a a mutation to a specific part of the spike protein that affected how the virus performed in a human being. So if you take a look, if you, I don't know if you could do this on the fly, but if you pull up the article, there's a diagram in there. Um, and it shows one of the lineages of Omicron and the step down. There it is right there. If mm -hmm. you scroll down, you can see it's a very unnatural step down Okay, just the actual visual. That's that's the that's the modifications. That's the mutations to Omicron. I think that's the BA11 variant you're looking at if I'm not mistaken. But that's the one that you know, that that's not supposed to happen. You're not supposed to see that very linear sort of stair-looking descent. Mm -hmm. And so that led these two very very well-respected Japanese researchers to very delicately say plainly, we really need to not rule out that this variant was completely manufactured from the ground up. Now, when Omicron was introduced back in, it was probably October, November of 2021, when Omicron made its, its headway, Dr. Malone, Dr. McCullough, all of them were saying it's almost as though this is a counter to Delta to try and get herd immunity with something that wasn't going to be as uh, pathogenic as a Delta variant was so that it was, you know, it was more virulent, but less deadly. I was just going to ask you that. So the, 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 the aspects to it that make it look man-made is just limited to Omicron. And I, I know that that was way less dangerous, made people way less sick than Delta uh, and I, it's been a while, but I remember reading somewhere that there was somebody, it was a whistleblower of some kind said they purposely released Omicron in it because they wanted to be able to shut, essentially shut the virus down or, or limit it to basically a chest cold. Well, that's, that was the prevailing narrative and looking at it now, it, it looks as though from this study that's now, you know, moved on and is in preprint, which is, which is huge. It looks as though that's not the only not only the original omicron lineage it was it was all of the omicron lineages not just that one and who's releasing these things from where when why are they good guys are they bad guys you know is it a way to try and mass vaccinate the population like there's a lot of questions surrounding this but it is it is pretty much fact at this point looking at all of this genome research that they did that this thing was manipulated by human beings in a laboratory, absolutely not naturally evolving. And the original lineage of Omicron, if you remember that, the tree was just, it was nowhere near how, how COVID had been, you know, mutating up until then. And then it took over. So was it a, a good guy kind of stepping in to try and save humanity 
from this thing. Who knows? I don't think we'll ever really know. But yeah, this is something we're going to be following really closely for sure. Yeah. It, yeah, it's one of those things that's like ask for forgiveness rather than permission if it is a, is a good guy. Uh, but the thing that Garrett and I were talking about the last episode, and uh, folks, uh, I've seen in the chat, people are asking about how Garrett's doing. He texted me earlier. He's doing just fine. Uh, I know DL Maga gave me a, a rumble rant uh, on, on Garrett's behalf. want to make sure you acknowledge that. Mm -hmm. And everybody in the chat, make sure that uh, you're giving us a thumbs up and a follow. We have Tracy Beans. She's got her own podcast, Dark to Light. Make sure you check that out. Monday, Wednesday, Fridays at 8.30 Eastern. Good information there. She's a purveyor of Uncover DC. Uh, make sure that you view that website at least once a day because they they aggregate news stories from around the world, around the web. Uh, I think it's, it's a great resource. And we're digging into some of the some of the stuff that she's been covering about COVID, and then we'll get into some government censorship issues. Uh, but back to this, this uh, Omicron man-made aspect to it. I think that that would be a worthy uh, thing to investigate if an FBI were an objective force for good and they do have <laughs> some scientific resources. Like, I mean, maybe it is a good guy, but I, I, I don't know if you have that right. I, I, I'm not too familiar with the, the legal code when it comes to releasing viruses into the atmosphere, if, if that's violative of the 18 code. <laughs> You're not allowed um, to do that. <laughs> but, uh, you know, the premier law enforcement agency should be able to flesh that out with the DOJ. That would seem to be a more worthy use of their resources and time uh, rather than, I don't know, indicting Russians for war crimes when those Russians, they don't even know their names and are still in Russia. Oh, Lord. Let's not even get into I mean, all the, oh, my goodness, Russians. <laughs> well, they we just, the, it, the, it's a fresh wound. We 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 ripped the the scab off this one a couple of days ago. Garrett and I were talking about how they indicted guys in Lebanon for contributing to Hezbollah for bombings in Argentina. Mm -hmm. It's just they shouldn't even be there as it is. Let alone I, I. This is CIA stuff, isn't it? I mean, shouldn't the CIA be engineering some takedown over there? And they did that during the the Spygate probe too. They indicted a bunch of Russians they knew would never come back here for hacking the DNC. Um, and interfering in the election, it was all nonsense. They like to indict foreigners they'll never see. It gets them the headline, and then it also gets people to talk about the issue that they wanted, which was the Russia, Russia, Russia narrative that the FBI was significant purveyor of and and uh, contributed to that being a, a thing that we actually had to invest significant resources in as a country and, and actually see uh, indictments or uh, impeachments come down the line because of it. Um, but I want to be—I wouldn't be fair and balanced, and, uh, and and it would not be fair and balanced of me to not push back on the story that you wrote at Highwire because there was a there was some pushback from an organization called Public Health Communications Collaborative. So I want to bring them up, uh, and then give you opportunity to respond to some of the things that they said here. Uh, Public Health. This says this viral article claims that a new study found all COVID nineteen variants are man made. Uh, their recommendation this is medium risk for uh, for being disinformation mm. um and then they got really specific and they said false and misleading claims about covid 19's origins have circulated since the earliest days of the pandemic uh and that their their worry was that this was not a peer-reviewed study um kind of like you shouldn't use ivermectin because it's not peer-reviewed even though everyone who takes it seems to get better uh any uh, any response to that, and then I'll I'll finally I'll give you a background on who this this organization Public Health Communications Collaborative really is. Yeah, they're non they're, this is nonsense. Um, the I think what they're they're taking issue with is well, first of all, they didn't read the column. That's number one. Number two, the title is, in my opinion, a little misleading. Um, it says all COVID variants. This is just directly discussing Omicron, even though we know that 
the original SARS-CoV-2 was lab engineered. So it's technically true. <laughs> Do you want to, I mean, it's true. Everything we wrote is true. Uh, there's not one thing in there that's not true. As a matter of fact, Highwire actually did an interview with Jeffrey Jackson, one of the first reporters from, from the organization to cover the story. And they were very clear when they first covered it that this was a this was a column that was in or a study that was in peer review that it doesn't necessarily mean that they're 100% correct, but given their research and looking at their research, which you could see, it was very meticulously done. That's a that's a non-debunk debunk. That's a cover your ass propaganda piece that you just showed me on the screen there, Steve. We can continue debunking that one for an hour. I can well, on. I, we'll let them debunk themselves. Uh, <laughs> I, I dug into who Public Health Communications Collaborative is. Um, they were formed way back in August of 2020. Oh, by the CDC. Oh, <laughs> to provide unbiased communication about the COVID-19 pandemic <laughs> with misinformation and polarization eroding trust in public health. So this They're, isn't even NewsGuard. This is like the actual CDC. The CDC did it uh, with uh, the Day Beaumont Foundation and Trust for America's Health. Those I score another one for independent media, man. It just keeps getting better. I love it. This is this is glorious. Being debunked by the debunked by the CDC. Perfect. Man, maybe maybe one of their senior executives got a paid contributorship to CNN after that, where they could talk about how the ticker on the death count was. Oh, totally, totally not made up. It wasn't just, we're just throwing numbers out. I, at Uncover DC, before I even started writing at Highwire, we had hundreds of columns on COVID. The earliest columns that we wrote on COVID were the, the roadmap, Steve, for at least Senator Johnson to start doing the work that he's done or he was doing. I wrote a column in March of 2020, I believe, about the fact that COVID was here much earlier than March of 2021. Um, it was here actually October, early November of 2019 or 2020, sorry. It was here October, 2019. It came from the Wuhan games. I laid it all out. I used the CDC's own data to prove it. Their influenza-like illness counts. Um, I graphed it all with some help from, from a friend. You could look up your own state. It was fully interactive. Um, it wasn't, you know, they were, they were getting a bunch of sick people coming in. It started in Washington. They were getting a bunch of sick people coming in with some weird viral thing that wasn't flu. You could drill down into the ILI and see it wasn't flu. And we graphed it out and we published that in March and that was it. Everybody hated me from then on. I remember actually there's a senior executive in the FBI just having a, just it was unrelated, just like a, a parenthetical conversation with me for a couple of minutes. And we were talking about it. it was actually in 2020. And she threw out to me, she's like, hey, do you think that if this, at that point it hadn't been confirmed, it was lab. They, they were still saying like a bat, I don't know, flew 600 miles and, and mated with an ox in a pangolin in a wet market. <laughs> um, and she said, if this thing, what if it's man-made, do you think that China would do that to specifically kill off the elderly population in, in mm. their own country um, because no, that would be good for them because they have this elderly population that's unsupported. And then they would just then parlay that into a basically weapon of mass destruction against their enemies. Uh, and I, I thought, man, that's like, that's a bad sci-fi movie level plot. But now as I think back and it's three years hence, I'm like, 
maybe it's certainly feasible. I actually think it's, it's different than that from, from everything that I've seen. Um, so they were well, well, two things. Number one, in April, um, a month after we came out with the ILI column, we, um, published a column from Celia Farber who did a myriad of work with Carrie Mullis back in the AIDS epidemic, AIDS epidemic. Um, and she wrote a column about how PCR was never meant to be a test. And we debunked the PCR test like in April of 2020, when everybody was starting to use these things and how the technology worked and all of that. And at the same time as that piece was coming out, I was doing one that kind of speaks to what you're talking about. I did, I did a piece on why it was called why Italy. Do you remember when Italy got just ravaged by COVID? They yes. were, they were ravaged. Well, nobody really understood that one belt, one road um, made illegal immigration by the Chinese into Italy, just an absolute night. I mean, they're overtaken in Italy by illegal Chinese immigration because of the one belt, one road initiative. So all these Chinese people were fleeing China before China locked down, which is the next point I'll get to, and, and streaming into Italy already infected with COVID. So the mayor of Italy or, or one of the towns in Italy or whatever, I don't remember at the time it was like, oh gosh, it was the mayor of, of a town in Italy. They started this campaign called Hug a Chinese, where they were like basically with PR commercials and, and, and advertisements on social media. I have a bunch of them in the column begging people to go hug their Chinese counterparts that had come into Italy. And so all these elderly Italian people are out there hugging all the Chinese people that have come over illegally from China and are now in Italy in the height of the pandemic. So they weren't quote racist or culturally appropriating. And so that's what happened in Italy. They were hugging the Chinese all over the place and getting sick with COVID. And that's why it hit Italy so hard. And then we started seeing in the very early days, Frank and I were broadcasting. I'll never forget it. We were broadcasting the Chinese welding people into their homes, yes. them falling down dead on the ground, like, like these horrible viral clips coming out of China, people just dropping dead, which now we know were propaganda and fake. And as soon as China locked down, I was like, this is, this is a global like operation there is no way that China is doing this unless it's it, it it was it was probably in cahoots with goodness knows who else and us to just lock down the world. How else do you kill and destroy a booming economy um, and all the prosperity and the and the mo the momentum that was there at the time? Just throw in a, a pandemic where everybody is afraid that you're going to die standing on the street. Lock everybody in their homes. If China's acting like this, it must be true, right? All these people are dying. Lock everyone in their homes. Make it so it's a mail-in, um, a mail-in election, and you change the world forever. And every single person on the face of this earth was affected by COVID, alive or not even born yet. That was to me. I, I had that moment. It was right when they were doing the lockdowns. It was March 2020, and I was in Iowa, and I was looking out my front window because uh, it was going to snow because it was Iowa. And it's March, so you have another, probably another three months of snow coming. Mm -hmm. And uh, I must have had the thousand-yard stare going because my wife came up to me and was like, "What's going on?" And I was just basically deciding when I was going to go shovel the driveway, and I lost my mind. Um, and I was just like, "This is all BS. Everything is happening. This this makes no sense at all. I I can't put it into words how frustrated I am. You can't push 
pause on the world. That yeah. doesn't make any sense. Like you can't push, you run a business. Could you push pause on your business? No, that's one business in one city, in one state, in one country. Like you can't do that for the entire globe. And this is for a disease that, you know, that it was mercifully, it only really affected the older and infirmed people. Uh, if you were going to, if you were going to have to get a pandemic, like that would have been the one you wanted, right? It, it was the first time actually in history where we we said, no, we're going to sacrifice the kids yeah, for the olds. Yes, in a, in a myriad of different ways. And the worst thing about it was all those people that passed away, the elderly, could have been treated successfully early if they wouldn't have done what they did to us and censor and ban anybody who was offering up an alternative treatment or a, a therapeutic for for this novel virus that had just come on the scene. That, and, that was my problem with it because it was like, hey, if this is novel, then like, let's just brainstorm, right? Let's just throw ideas out there. there there's no such thing as a, as a bad idea as, as long as it's theoretical, like mm -hmm. throw things out there that sound ridiculous. You never yep. know, right? Yep. And it was instead we got, no, you have to stay home. Until you're ready to die. So you're ready to die. Uh, no alternate treatments available because we have to have emergency use authorization for this vaccine, which we'll get to in a minute. Mm -hmm. And then, then it just was one thing after another that they just, because there was no uh, guardrail on going over the top on the precautions, it became actually beneficial for our elected officials to go way over the top because they couldn't be criticized for it. They'd only get accolades. It was a virtue to be overly cautious. That's how we got things like one-way shopping aisles. And you can't, uh, you were going to shut down certain sections of the store, uh, but not others. Or you uh, can't, you, you can't go outside and play in the sun at a park. Uh, but we're you can stay home and and binge Netflix, and that'll that'll be the way that we we solve this. And, or you know me when I when I eventually did get COVID, I I was told oh um, you can't take a a nebulizer treatment because you'll spread it around your house and get your other family members sick. And I'm like this thing is like flying around the house, right? Like why would that matter? Why should right I not now. be able to breathe? <laughs> So it was just, uh, we're going to wear two masks. And I remember saying it, I, I was criticized for not wearing a mask. And I thought, why don't you wear the second one that you have on inside out? And then it'll be like, I'm wearing it. <laughs> you know, honestly, from the very get, I was criticizing the lockdowns and warning people about what was going to happen um, from the very beginning, from the very beginning. And uh, everybody was mad at me. Steve, like, we don't know what this is. And I'm like, you don't understand what's going to happen here. They're not going to stop. No, it's going to get worse and worse. Anytime you give up any little bit of liberty, um, it is, it is trampled all over and it's you barely ever get it back. Like rarely. And we're still fighting to get some of it back. Yes. I mean, they, they took three steps forward and, and one step back and then said, see, look, we, we gave you back some of your liberty and, and everybody was so happy to get that one step that they forgot about the two that they lost in the process mm -hmm. and they're still, still suffering. It's, it's a tried and true tactic, um, how you lull people into sleep. I mean, look, I, I, I always admit if I'm wrong, I mean, it's tough to do, you know, you gotta swallow your pride. I was 100% wrong. I thought there was too much, uh, Gadsden flag waving, tatted up guys. Uh, you, you're not going to keep me down. There's not enough Netflix. You can't keep me in my house. And then I watched all these guys stay inside because they got a $1,700 stimulus check. Mm -hmm. That's been completely erased in 
you, I mean, by order of magnitude now through the inflation that we caused. I mean, if the, the trillions of dollars that they just, it would have been better if they just given direct payments to everybody if they were going to do it. I was sitting there cheering on Thomas Massey when he was voting against the CARES Act and taking it pretty hard from people for not being supportive of the CARES Act. And I'm like, do you even understand what's going on right now? Like there were a few little provisions in that bill that were actually helpful given the circumstances small businesses were placed under at the time. Um, but that was a blank check to destroy the economy forever. I don't, in retrospect, like I wish more people listened to Thomas Massey. He stood up the whole way and, and he still has it pinned to his top of his social media profile. I mean, he, and he, he, uh, was threatened with the primary challenge where I think he probably promptly stomped down. Mm -hmm. Um, and he's been consistent the whole way on it. And, you know, he's, it's, it's unfortunate that he's been born out to be correct because as a society, I think we're all suffering the consequences. And I've continued to say like all the, the talk about the, the Biden inflation and the let's go Brandon economy. I'm like, you guys know that that hasn't started yet. Right. We're still, this is all cares act still it's we're at the very tail end of it. Wait till the next round happens because there's normally like a two year lag really before that inflation infiltrates an entire economy. And it's going right. to be, it's going to be like Malay down in, uh, He's he's dealing with that right ha right now, trying to course correct their economy. Um, he's dealing with the the diapers going up eight, ten, twelve, sixteen percent right now because that's the only way to course correct in a, it with a real free market solution. So yes, it. Um, I mean, I've I've drawn the comparison to the ten years ago when Cyprus had their haircut, where they shut down all the banks over the weekend mm. and they took forty seven and a half percent of every bank account over the two hundred thousand euro. Uh, it's basically like the the FDIC limit that we have here. And they took half of everything in the bank accounts that was in excess of that. And I remember people saying, like, you can't just steal people's money. And I'm thinking, well, it's 10 years hence. They just did it way slower through inflation. What's the yeah. difference? Yeah. People people don't really get what's happening at a at a you know at a macro level. Like it's it's at a micro level, I should say. It's yeah. bad. It's yeah. bad. But you know what? You only live once, Steve. That's right. We need to have fun. That's YOLO. <laughs> be an Andy McCabe. Get a half a million dollars uh, because uh, you're you're going to burn in South Hell for all of eternity after that. Struck and Page are still in a lawsuit, by the way, with the government over oh, their firings. Goodness. And he's, he, have you ever seen Peter Struck talk on the news as a contributor? No, thank goodness. So, uh, so friend of the program, Kyle Serafin, a uh, friend of yours, friend of mine, uh, we, we were on his podcast, which is Monday through Friday. 9:30 Eastern, the Kyle Serafin show, and we were breaking down his one of his contributions. And in the background, where he has his, his office set up just for TV purposes, uh, he has like his book, obviously. But I was dying laughing because he has these handcuffs that are like hanging down off the shelf. As clearly this this cosplay of I was in law enforcement at one point, and I just thinking like he probably used those fake handcuffs with Lisa. <laughs> 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 Ew. <laughs> with that in mind we can transition now to uh to something else you're right and this is now into you know we talked about the emergency youth authorization that the, the vaccines got because the media and everybody else were tamping down on any sort of alternate treatments you, you definitely couldn't you know take vitamin d and exercise uh you couldn't eat right lose weight get actually healthier to to be preventative i mean if, if any fact when, when they started talking about well the uh the vaccines are really just uh, a preventative measure. It'll make it less severe. I'm like, well, what's the difference between that and sunlight? <laughs> but 
anyway, uh, there was another piece that you wrote about uh, Australian documents. So you're you're going all over the place. Japan, Australia, definitely into the uh, the eastern uh, eastern Pacific. Australian docs peer-reviewed study: gene-based COVID jabs cause excess mortality, must be stopped. Uh, an excerpt from this says: Following their investigation, the study authors immediately confirmed the lack of efficacy against infection and transmission displayed by the toxic jabs, as well as the equivalent benefits of natural immunity over the unethical, mandatory, and forced nature of the gene-based shots. So proving exactly what we all kind of knew that uh, good old fashioned herd immunity is actually a thing. Yes. And also, I mean, the Texas, the Pfizer lawsuit kind of piggybacks off that. Um, if you want to talk about that for a quick second, go for it. So Texas is suing Pfizer um, for, for their COVID-19 MRNA shot. Now, Steve, you know how much liability protection these pharmaceutical companies have. Well, Paxton is a crafty, crafty little man um he's going after them on false advertising they originally advertised and and ceo borla was all over the world saying these things were 95 percent effective right well information that is in their possession now and that everybody in the world has now proves that when they were saying that it was 95 percent effective they knew that that was not true they were using the relative risk reduction rather than the absolute risk reduction. So they basically just fudged the numbers to make them look good when the absolute risk reduction, if you took the, the vaccine, was 0.85%. The way that they compared the, the statistics to get 95% was completely fraudulent. And the FDA actually tells you, you can't use that risk reduction rate because it basically removes informed consent. Um, and so when you tell people about your product or drug or whatever, you have to use the absolute risk ratio in addition to the relative risk ratio regardless. Um, and, and they didn't do that. So they went around saying it was 95% effective. They went around saying that it was effective against all variants, even though they had never done variant testing. They actually went so far as to say it was 100% effective against the South African variant. They had never done any testing to say that. Um, they actually said in, in public they were using Israel as their laboratory. Um, for all the people freaking out all over the world about anti-Semitism, I didn't hear many people complaining when Pfizer said they were going to use Israel's citizens as 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 test patients in a, a global uh, you know catastrophe, the likes of which we've never seen before. But everybody basically in Israel was jabbed. And so they had all the data coming from there. The data that they used in the back end at Pfizer showed negative efficacy on the shot, but they were still out there saying it was 95% effective. So Paxton is suing them for false advertising. Brilliant. Can, can you just give a like cliff notes? What is the difference between uh, relative and absolute efficacy? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull it up because it's complicated. Um, it, and I want to read it, right. Yeah, it's, it, I mean, obviously absolute efficacy is like you take a shot and then 95% of the time, 95 out of 100 people never get the disease and five out of the 100 actually did. So we can say absolute 95% effective. That's absolute. A absolute risk. And then there's relative, which is like comparing the placebo group versus it's yeah it's comparing different groups that received the shot i'm gonna i'll read it to you guys though because 
it's hard to explain without giving an example. Um, they also, uh, in that, while I'm looking this up, they also um, have documentation that proves that they unblinded the trial. Obviously, we we knew that, but they unblinded the the phase three, I believe, trial and allowed the people who had gotten the placebo to get the actual shot. So there is no good study out no, there. No, whole, that whole study is now tainted. And then the, the, the last thing about even any of these studies is no one can claim that they have long-term studies because there just hasn't been enough time to, no. to pass. I mean, there was that I mean, I always joke about there was that that Simpsons episode where it was supposed to be like in the future where Lisa was the president of the United States and Ned Flanders comes in and he's blind and they're like, he's like, yeah, I got the laser surgery, but after 10 years, your eyeballs fall out. <laughs> well, you don't know. We don't know what's going to happen. I mean, look at what's happening in three. Um, they only, they did this based on two months of, of data. Not even. They're out there saying it's 95% effective. Okay, ready? Relative risk reduction refers to the percentage decrease in risk achieved by the group receiving the intervention versus the group that did not receive the intervention. Absolute risk reduction refers to the actual difference in risk between the treated and the control group. Okay, so let's say that let, here's here's what the comparison would be. The absolute we've explained, the, the relative would be um, if it, the, the placebo group, 94 people out of 100 got sick and the uh and the in the uh the actual group who are getting the the, the drug Four. 95 would be and it's the difference that one yeah. percent difference that would be oh well it's 95 percent you know it's a it's a one percentage point so one percent is is uh is is, is viewed as that 95 percent. you difference. did it better than me yes <laughs> it's so hard to explain in words and like it's it's not a concept many people um use every day yeah, and and with these studies too, it's not like they did it over like a million people. I mean, it's maybe Hundreds. a few dozen. So yeah. a ninety five percent difference is it's basically the the Venn diagram is almost a full circle at that. It's point. the margin of error in one of these great polls that go on out of the. Uh... Oh, but the polls, the polls. Uh, <laughs> that'll be a conversation for another day, maybe uh, after a couple of these primaries. I want to talk happen. about politics. <laughs> no, I don't this either. Is much which more is not. Fun. It's not what the American Radicals podcast is about. We're trying to talk about some issues that are affecting everybody, regardless of you know who you pull the the ballot the the lever for at the ballot box. Well, this affects everybody for sure. So, Texas yeah. is suing Pfizer for false advertising, and it's it, it's it's a very well done suit, and it just makes me realize more like with what Paxton's been doing lately. He's got a couple against Pfizer. Actually, he's suing Pfizer for another in another case. Because they, um, they they basically fudged a study about the safety of a very, very unsafe ADHD medicine for kids. Um, and so he's suing them on that, too. Uh, Ken Paxton, man, he's like the FAFO guy that I think a lot of conservatives hope was going to be Brett Kavanaugh after he got kind of steamrolled with accusations about being a rapist. He was just kind of like, well, all right, well, whatever. Now I'm going to be Clarence Thomas 2.0. And he's, he's come, Ken Paxton's come back in and guns blazing, taking on some, some things, which is what you would want from an energetic attorney general. Yeah. To do this sort of thing. Like the Missouri attorney general, like, and, and, you know, Missouri's attorney general is running for a governor. Um, 
Louisiana's attorney general became governor and the solicitor general became the AG. So we've got a lot of great stuff going on. And the prior, the one who started the Missouri AG, he became a senator. So it's obviously bodes well for you electorally. Uh, it's almost like you've done this before. He's almost been like a broadcaster. We should transition. That's a great segue to the other story, which is, I think, your your magnum opus, uh, if you will. And that is the Missouri v. Biden government censorship. I want to... Um, we're not going to go back all the way to the beginning uh, because that would take several hours. Uh, for those who who want to learn, you should definitely go to Tracy Beans' uh, Twitter profile at Tracy Beans Beans with a Z, and pinned to the top is her thread on the Missouri v. v. Biden case that's going on. It involves government censorship, government collusion with big tech to to censor on the lawsuit that's been ongoing that is not just Missouri, it's Missouri and Louisiana. Uh, my wife's actually in the lawsuit. I think she was paragraph 393, if memory serves correctly. I remember that actually, yes. Uh, uh, but uh, you had a couple of things I want to touch on because there are updates to this case as it, it seems to be going well, then maybe not so much. Um, I want to touch on two, two of the articles that you've written here uh, that I want to share. The first one is the, uh, the SCOTUS at odds over the stay. Uh, could you just uh, give me some some high points here so people are kind of uh, catching on to this and then they can do their own reading on it uh, at Uncover DC? For sure. First, I will tell everyone, if you're looking for Steve's wife, check amended complaint three. <laughs> That's where she <laughs> is. <laughs> She's in the third amended complaint. Um, okay, so <laughs> what happened was the government, um, the, well, the governments of, of Missouri and Louisiana wanted to uh, get a temporary injunction to stop the federal government from interfering with social or coercing social media companies to censor American speech. So the only time that that Missouri and Louisiana wanted the federal government to be able to talk to social media companies was for, you know, for crime, uh, to police child predators, things that they should be doing now, but don't you, you understand, Steve, like the things they should be doing, but don't. Um, and so the government that 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 temporary injunction was granted. So the judge in the district case said, yeah, the government's out of bounds here. The federal government's out of bounds. We're going to stop them from being able to talk to social media platforms for any of the reasons outside of these very specific reasons as this case continues. Well, the government said, the Biden administration said, no, we need to be able to censor Americans. How dare you try and stop us from doing that? We have a right to free speech too. completely, you know, misappropriated the entire ruling, appealed it to the Fifth Circuit. The Fifth Circuit heard oral arguments twice and said, actually, we disagree with you, Biden administration. We don't think you should be able to do all of these things you say you should be able to do. You're only allowed to talk to the federal government for these specific, uh, um, the social media platforms for these specific reasons. And then they appealed that to the Supreme Court. So the Biden administration said, SCOTUS, we want you to step in now and tell us we're allowed to censor Americans, please. And the SCOTUS said, we're going to hear this argument about this temporary injunction. But until we do, the temporary injunction that was put into place by the Fifth Circuit and the lower court is stayed, meaning it's in limbo. It's not in effect. So for the time being, until uh, until we have a, um, a ruling from the Supreme Court, uh, the government can still meddle with social media companies uh, and, and essentially censor what they deem to be disinformation, misinformation, or malinformation. Mal is my favorite. It's stuff that's true, but uh, we don't like. So we have the ability to censor that. Um, yeah, they, the, they do. And, and 
what's the timeline for when SCOTUS is actually going to hear the arguments in, on? In the late spring, probably. And that's why Kavanaugh and I think it was uh, Thomas Alito and Gorsuch actually wrote a dissent um, and said, I can't believe that you're doing this and definitely staying this. It is, it is not correct that we disagree with that decision. It should be in place as we wait. What you're basically telling the American people is that we're okay with the government potentially censoring their speech through an election cycle on top of everything else. So Amy Barrett um, is basically candidate just in favor of overturning Roe at this point, right? He basically, they basically, the three justices that wrote this dissent basically said, none of them even bothered to read this to understand what's going on in the record and just made this decision without giving it the care that it deserves. And that's unfortunate that they just didn't even care to read it. I mean, I don't like to, to, say like, oh, well, this, this, this next few months is more crucial than the government uh, should definitely not censor during the next few months because it's uber important. I mean, always the government should not be censoring free speech, mm-hmm. um, but I can't help but scratch my head at like, th- there's a, a lot that's going to happen between January and early spring uh, politically, where it's basically going to be a presidential primary could essentially be all sewn up because you're going through Super Tuesday at that point. You're, you might be going through uh, early points of uh, one of the Trump trials. I mean, like there's a lot that's going to happen in the next four months uh, that would you would think that the government essentially being able to pull stuff back uh, could significantly impact the nomination process for the ma- for one of the major parties for president um, and not, not to mention even the down ballot candidates who are going to be throwing their names into the ring for governor and for senator and congressman and all that. The only positive is that, so as this is all happening, the, there's, the case is still going, right? So the case is still going on, even though the temporary injunction is in limbo. Um, they're still in discovery. And so there's still production happening, Steve. And it's going to be very hard. Like the government's not going to know what the social media companies are producing. And the, the social media companies aren't going to know what the government is producing in discovery. So it's kind of almost like a check and balance on them pulling anything, given the status of this. Um, it was just, it was unbelievable to, unbelievable to me how vociferously the government was fighting to be able to censor you. It it was pretty scary. As a matter of fact, I was at the hearing where the district judge granted this. He didn't grant it at the hearing. He waited till the 4th of July, which was killer. It was awesome. But I was there and he asked the, he asked the, the deputy attorney general of the United States to answer very simple questions. He said, I'm going to read a series of statements out to you. And I want you to tell me if these are protected free speech under the First Amendment of the Constitution. Seems easy enough, right? So the judge says, uh, COVID vaccines don't work. Is that a First Amendment protected statement or not? And I got to tell you, every single time the government said it depends on who's saying it. And when the judge was like incredulous about this, He asked, what do you mean it depends on who's saying it? And you want to know what this blew my mind. The answer the DAG actually gave was, we don't know if these Americans are working on behalf of a foreign government and they're guilty of FARA violations. (laughs) FARA violation, which uh, has never been prosecuted at any point in history until they just started doing it. Yeah. Um, That's what he said. I'm. That's not even a, a, a good weak argument. Like the weak argument that you make is, well, context matters, Your Honor. I mean, and that that would basically be the, the get out of having to answer the question directly. But to say, to actually pinpoint, it depends on the actual person. 
that's to me i i'm i'm so, I'm so glad that this uh, this judge was able to issue the the ruling that he did i mean obviously the stay on the injunction is is problematic but at least uh, he he upheld the oath that he was supposed to theoretically be um be doing in that position which too few jurists i think are willing to do at this point he's doing it in a number of other cases surrounding this stuff too um one of the plaintiffs in missouri v biden sued the uh not the ngos that are getting all the government money to do the things even the government thought were too bad to do um so they're taking taxpayer dollars to do things that the government couldn't do even though the government really did break you know commit serious uh violations of our civil liberties they even thought that these things would be a bridge too far so they they are paying using taxpayer dollars ngos to do them instead and so one of the plaintiffs in the Missouri v. Biden case, Jill Hines, is actually suing those in those NGOs in front of the same judge. And that case is going equally as swimmingly for the plaintiffs. So. All right. Well, and then I want to we're, we're getting towards the end here. I want to make sure that I touched on this last story where uh, the, 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 the fact that they put this stay on the injunction, which basically means like we can still for a few months uh, meddle um, theoretically with with censorship. Uh, which is what the the government was now bragging about. Uh, it is the government flaunts its stay in Missouri v. Biden, which I uh, I, I thought was really funny because I, I guess the, there was a column written in Washington Post uh, that the the Biden administration was worried about people talking about how expensive things are, and and the column actually was a defense of the Biden administration, was saying, "Well, no, the the Big Macs are not really as expensive as you're saying," but the fact that that they were able to to write a column. Uh, at all was worrisome to the administration. So th therefore, they're saying that this was potentially a threat to national security because uh, I think the quote was like, economists fear that these exaggerated stories will ultimately lead to a worse outcome, perhaps helping Trump win re-election. <laughs> that is, it is vital to make clear that this remains, by many measures, one of the best recoveries in the modern U.S. history. So just being able to write anything that is as bad about a presidential administration might help one of his rivals get elected and therefore is a threat to national security. Is that is that the takeaway? Yes. And I think I actually mentioned and pulled out in that column where Rob Flaherty or I forget who it was in in a deposition in the case was talking about how the economy is something that needed to be talk about the economy needed to be censored or it could cause a problem like we're just here it's unbelievable you can't talk about anything negative about anything otherwise it's a national security threat that's literally the tack they're taking it's pretty terrifying actually if it wasn't so ridiculous the national security label the, the broad brush is i mean that's the ring of power for the government i mean that's that's how they are able to essentially remove me from work right. i mean the national security steve you can't have a uh a security clearance we're going to suspend it because you know you're a threat to national security well what did i do uh you looked at the employee handbook improperly <laughs> so that's a threat to national security we, we can't really talk about it we have to assess whether or not you are a threat to national security so that could take a couple of years here why don't you go home and, and wait it out without pay i mean and that's just one example i mean they did it to, to, all, to all the all the suspendables and but that label itself national security is what christopher ray says well i you know i, I can't talk about that I, ongoing investigation you don't have a need to know it's actually something that and this is sort of unrelated to what we're talking about um but i i sent off a primer to uh to my state rep and in the state of florida and i'm and i'm saying that they should mandate legally that no uh, no state certified police officers can work with any federal agency 
in a national security aspect because you can't talk to your boss, your real boss, who is your sheriff. You can't say, hey, boss, I can't tell you what I'm doing because of national security. You have so many brilliant things that you've put out there. I mean, see, don't laugh. I'm serious. I Thank feel like you. I've known you from like the Ron Paul days, but I haven't. That's how I feel, honestly. Um, Man, that, I I was not in Iowa till 2014, but the 2012 Ron Paul campaign would have been fun. That would have been. It was so much fun. Did it you actually fun. go to Iowa to, to knock on doors? I didn't go to Iowa, but a friend of mine did because I had a very small child at the time, or actually okay. two. Um, and a full-time job, not in politics. Uh, but yeah, a friend of mine did, um, that works at Uncover DC, Gigi, she was in Iowa. Um, so yeah, it, it was, it was, that was fun times. I had a good time with that campaign. I lived through two, two of the caucuses. Uh, obviously 2016 was a lot more interesting because both parties were running, um, new candidates because mm -hmm. it was the end of the Biden administration. So, uh, I went to a lot of different events. It's definitely a unique experience. Anyone, uh, who has the opportunity to go and support your guy, um, and then help out. It, it's it's all grassroots. The caucus is is a whole trip itself. Um, I was told at one of the events I went to, they said, if you live in this state and you have not shaken the hand of the president, it's your fault. Because it's true. They, they come through, man, and they because look, there's only and there's less than a million people that live in the state of Iowa, uh, and they have to engage with you, and it would be nothing for them to oh. Uh, Rick Perry is holding an event at the pizza ranch and you go there and there's like 18 people there and he's yep. there for two hours and he has that, to sit down and answer your questions. That's the thing that I, I, I always kind of scratch my head about when people are showing low turnout in Iowa. I'm like, you guys have no idea how anything works there like at all. And, and I'm excited because I think I might be going to Iowa this time. I'm still oh. trying to work it out. It's very hard to fly there from where I live. Fun. Yes. Yeah. And you're, I mean, it also <laughs> depends on where you're going to go in the state too. I mean, if you're going to go to Northwest Iowa or you're going to go to central Iowa, or, I mean, it's, it, it's a small state, but it's a big state. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it, you have to kind of like pick where you're, you're going to be, make the most impact. So you have to keep me abreast of that. I shall. All right. Well, I thank you very much for joining me today, Tracy. Uh, you you had big shoes to fill, literally big shoes to fill <laughs> from Garrett, but Garrett's doing well. Um, you, you brought some great information and, and we thank everybody here. Um, Make, make sure that you are following Tracy at Tracy Beans on Twitter. You can follow her at Uncover DC. You can uh, make sure you watch her podcast, the Dark to Light podcast, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, 8.30 a.m. Uh, did I miss anything? Anybody no, else? except this is literally the last thing I'm doing in 2023. So, yeah. Oh, so I get to have that honor. I, yeah. You closed out the year. Uh, with Real with Steve Friend on the American Radicals podcast. Folks, we hope that we brought you some good stuff today. We'll see you once more in the new year. That'll be this Saturday at noon. In the meantime, everybody have a great day, and thanks for joining us. You've been listening to the voice of the Suspendables on the American Radicals podcast. Follow us on rumble.com slash amradpod.